What's up, Kairos? Hey, it is great to see you. My name is Danny Householder. I'm the campus pastor here at Hope Ames. I'm so glad to be with you. Uh, we say it all the time. I'll say it one more time. We don't believe it's any accident that you're here. We've been praying for you, and so we're just so very glad that we get to worship with you this evening. Hello to you who are in this room on the floor, in the balcony. Hello to our friends who are worshiping with us online in Iowa City. We're so glad that we can uh, gather together. So we are starting a brand new series tonight called Jesus Went. We have moved into a season called Lent, and so we're going with Jesus went. I didn't realize it rhymed until just now. Now, Lent is a word that literally means springtime, which is the season of renewal. And it is so refreshing to have weather where you don't have to wear 17 coats to go outside. Did anybody just go outside in shorts and a t-shirt yesterday? Was anybody just feeling that? Man, it felt really, really nice. And so in the season of springtime, it's a season of renewal. It's a season when we see life coming back to earth, especially with where we live. And it's also the season of Lent. And it's a season of renewal and refocus for our hearts and for our souls. The season of Lent is the 40 days that lead up to Easter. And so we are going to refocus our souls on Jesus, the one who gives us life. So that's what we're going to be doing throughout this series. We're going to be following Jesus throughout his life to see the places that he went, see the people that he served in order to know the heart of God, to know the heart of Jesus. Jesus says, if you know me, you know the Father. If you know me, you've actually met God. God wants to be known, right? Like God wants to be known. And so we're going to follow Jesus throughout his life. And tonight we're starting at the very beginning of Jesus' life. Now, did you know that at the beginning of Jesus' life, it was starting on the run? So tonight's talk, we're calling it Jesus Fled. Where did Jesus go? Well, well, he fled. Now, Jesus fled at the beginning of his life. We're going to get to that. But before we get to that, I want you to hear this from the very foundation of this series. God wants you to know him. God wants you to know his heart. God does not stay far away. In fact, in Colossians chapter 2, it says this about the reason why God came into the world. It's because Christ, in Christ, lives the fullness, of God, the fullness of God in a human body. Like, God is not far away. God's not someone that we have to chase down. Do you remember in the Scooby-Doo cartoon? Maybe you watched that growing up. Like, my favorite part of the show was at the end, it was the reveal, when they finally got the criminal. They finally got the villain, and they would unmask the villain. They're like, oh, that's not a scarecrow. That's Mr. Carswell, the bank owner, you know. Whoa! It's, that's not how it is with God. We don't have to chase God and unmask God and say, who are you? Now, God comes to us. He wants to be known. He desires to be known. And that's good news for us. But when God enters the world, it will surprise us. How would you expect God to come into the world? The Bible tells us that, um, that God's people in the Old Testament, the Old Testament is the time that happens before Jesus was born. Before Jesus was born, people who were God's people, they were walking through wilderness, they were walking through deserts, they were living in slavery, they were living in oppression. They were a weak nation that was beat up by everyone around them. Life wasn't good. And yet they were given this promise it was promised to them in the book of Isaiah chapter 9. It said, you will get a son. A son will be born unto you. And you will call him mighty king, wonderful counselor. The government will rest on his shoulders and his kingdom will never end. And so we're hearing that. We're thinking, oh my goodness, when this Messiah comes, when God comes into the world, surely it's going to be like an Avengers type entrance. Here comes Thor. But it's not like that. 
It's a surprise. The Bible tells us uh, there are multiple accounts of Jesus' birth, but let's take a look at this one. The Bible tells us Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. Jesus comes into the world, God comes into the world in the form of Jesus, and it is surprising. It's good when God catches us by surprise. In fact, if God hasn't caught you by surprise lately, you might want to check your heart and see, am I actually listening to God lately? Am I following God lately? Have you ever just been completely blown away by someone? Has someone totally surprised you and all of your expectations were totally shattered? When I was in college, I had to go see a chiropractor. Anybody just like a chiropractor junkie? Like you just love watching those videos, you know, all the way up the back. Just freaks me out a little bit. I was nervous about going to the chiropractor because I don't like, first, I don't like when people touch me. But second, I don't like when people like break my back. I don't know how that's good for you, but I know it's a science and people are doctors and and they help you. So I set up this appointment. I didn't do a lot of research. I just knew that I was going to a place and I walk in there, they take me to the table and there's a few tables, but between each table, there are these divider walls. And I'm just kind of sitting on mine and I'm looking at my phone, I'm not paying much attention, but on the other side of this one divider wall, I hear a conversation taking place. I hear a woman's voice say, "Uh, hello, I'm Dr. Trudy. She said, I'm Dr. Trudy. and uh, are you ready to get started? And I hear a man's voice, and he says, yeah, yeah, I'm ready. Let's go. Let's do this. And then I'm not really paying attention anymore. They kind of go into some small talk. I can't see. There's a divider wall between them. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I hear this. <laughs> and it wasn't just that noise, which freaked me out. It was the shriek that came out of this man. Like, I'm talking a combination between a rooster and a horse neighing, like, <laughs> you know. And I'm like, oh, what happened to this man? What happened? And then all of a sudden, it happens again, right up his back. I'm like, oh, and this time it's like a T-Rex. Like, oh. And right before I think this man is about to start crying, he says, that's what I came for, Trudy. (laughs) Like, what is happening over there? And he says, again. Yeah. More Trudy. Yeah, Trudy! I'm terrified. I begin to shake. Everything inside of me wants to bail. And I start to hear the footsteps moving. I hear this man step off. And I'm thinking, like, there's no way this man can stand. Dr. Trudy says, all right, why don't you go ahead and stand? I'm like, he can't stand. You broke him. But he stands like, oh, I've never felt better. I'm coming back for more. This guy sounds like he just enjoyed ice cream. I heard his body bust, and I hear the footsteps coming around the corner, and I'm terrified. I'm so scared, and I have this vision of what Dr. Trudy is going to look like, and it's not good. I'm expecting Thor, right, who's just going to come in with the hammer and smack me. But around the corner comes this elderly, sort of frail-looking woman, and she looks at me and goes, hi. Hi. I'm Dr. Trudy. I'm like, oh, (laughs) I know what you did. And she says, so why don't you go ahead and lay down face first on the table? I'm like, oh, yeah, so I can't see your attack. I know what you're doing. And she starts asking me questions. You know, what do you do? I'm like, oh, well, you know, I'm a student. She asks me about my family. And right when I'm about to tell her how many siblings I have, right up my back. And a noise came out of me that I cannot make right now. 
I could try and I could not make the noise that came out of my body in that moment. But to my great surprise, my back suddenly felt like a feather. I had no clue. It's like for years, I didn't even know, but my back was twisted and knotted and breaking and Trudy just fixed it. I'm like, Trudy! Yeah! Again! Yes! Trudy! She says, why don't you go ahead and stand up and I just fly out of the room. I tell you what, nothing, nothing could have prepared me for that. I had zero expectations for that kind of experience. I had zero expectations that Trudy would be like that. She surprised me and she saved me from something I didn't even know that I had. I was just told, you got a tight back. You should go get this checked out. Trudy, the most surprising doctor in the world. Man, she saved me. God will surprise us. When God comes in, God doesn't appear the way that we thought he would appear. God doesn't arrive the way that we thought God would arrive. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And maybe if you've heard the the Christmas story before, you think, oh, well, Bethlehem, like this is just this history-changing city because that's where Jesus was born. Nothing was cool about Bethlehem back then. Nothing. Like think Iowa City. I'm so sorry, Iowa City friends. I'm I'm in Ames. (laughs) If I was there, I would betray all these people. (laughs) No. It's like Cedar Falls. I don't know. (laughs) We can all agree on that. (laughs) Oh, I'm just kidding. I'm sure we have somebody from Cedar Falls watching tonight who's deeply offended. Who else can we offend? Bring your friends to church. (laughs) Man, Minnesota, am I right? There's no winning. There's no winning with that. But Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Nothing cool about Bethlehem. To this day, only like 25,000 people live there. That's smaller than Iowa State University. That's smaller than the University of Iowa. Back then, no more than a few hundred people living there. And this is where God shows up. And he shows up during the reign of King Herod. And so immediately we see this juxtaposition, this side-by-side comparison between God, king of the universe, and king of an empire, king of a region, King Herod. Man, that's what God would come in the world like, right? A king. There are these exciting scenes that happen surrounding Jesus' birth. And we think, okay, well, that must be appropriate. There's these angels who encounter uh, shepherds in a field, and it tells us this in the book of Luke. Um, this, I mean, it's, it's amazing. It says the, save, the angels are speaking to the shepherds. It's like this chorus of angels that eventually show up. And one of the angels says, the Savior, yes, the Messiah, the one that was prophesied about, the one that's going to save you, the one whose government and kingdom will never end. The Lord has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And we're imagining like this incredible starry night and angels flying everywhere. And then all of a sudden on the next slide, they say, and you will recognize this baby by this sign. You will find him wrapped in a snuggly strip of cloth, lying in a manger, a.k.a. He doesn't have a home. He's sleeping in a thing that animals eat out of. He's living in a shack. How underwhelming. But this, this is how God comes into the world. This is how God shows up. And this is good news for you and me. God is approachable. 
Let's go back and look at uh, uh, what, what God promises to do. It says this in Ezekiel chapter 37. That's right. It's prophesied. This is prophesied about Jesus. This is what it says. It says that dry bones, like, okay, so this is what Jesus is going to come into the world do. He's going to give life. He's going to give renewal. It's not expected, but this is what's going to happen. Dry bones, listen to the word of the Lord. I will put flesh and muscles on you, cover you with skin. I will breathe into you and you will come into life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. The way that we know that Jesus is Lord, the way that we recognize God is that he shows up and he looks like us. How surprising, how shocking that God would show up and look like us. In Genesis chapter two, it tells us that God decided to make us in his image. Boy, that's a confidence booster, isn't it? And so when God shows up, he says, I want you to look for someone who's approachable, for someone who's relatable, not someone that you chase down and tear the mask off of. You'll see me. Okay, so now let's look at this again. You will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Approachable. Now if we look at the prophecy again from Isaiah chapter 9, suddenly this wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, isn't so scary to approach. There are so many of us who are terrified to approach God, terrified to open up to God, because we know what happens when we open up to people. They kind of push us away. The more someone knows about me, the more problems they know about me. And so if we hear this prophecy about God, a child's going to be born to you, he's going to be a wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, whoa! But he's not like the kings that you know, sitting on a throne high and far away. No, this king gets close. This king loves you and this king cares for you. It's not like King Herod. <laughs> king Herod, he had it all. King Herod had people kissing his hand, putting a golden crown on his head, wearing royal cloaks. But this king just puts on a piece of cloth. He puts on flesh and bone. He's relatable. He comes to you and he comes to me. I know it's underwhelming, but it's a great surprise. It's good news. It's good when you can relate to somebody. I've, I've got a friend named Ben. Ben is probably my most relatable friend I've ever had. Like, we became friends in high school. That's us at his wedding. I was officiated his wedding a few years ago now. Ben's one of the most relatable friends I've ever had. We just have so much in common. Like, the same stuff makes us funny. The, the, the same stuff makes us laugh. We like the same music, all this different stuff. But we weren't always, like, really close friends. In fact, for a while, I kind of pushed him away. Because I thought, I don't have anything to do with this guy. When Ben came to my high school, it was ninth grade, and he was a new student. Ben joined the football team, and I was on the football team. And one day after practice, this new guy comes up to me and goes, well, good afternoon. He always said that. He always said either good morning or good afternoon or good evening. So he's like, well, good afternoon. So we're both on the football team, huh? I'm like... Yeah, yeah, we're both, on, we're both on the football team, okay. And all of a sudden, throughout our conversation, I start to notice something. I'm like, oh, oh, he's trying to hit it off. 
But you know, like when you're in ninth grade, you've started to establish your friends, right? Like you've got your vision for what your high school social life is going to look like. And so you've already got the prospects in your mind. And quite frankly, Ben was too late to the game. Yeah, 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 we're both on the team. And Okay, well, hey, do you want to hang out sometime? Oh, well, I'm busy. I don't know. Okay, well, maybe next time. Comes around next time. Well, good morning. Like, oh, man, this guy's everywhere. Hey, what are you doing Friday night? Uh, well, about that. That's funny. I, I mean, uh, and he comes the next time. Good evening. Hey, what are you doing this weekend? Oh, man. I just kept on trying to push him away, right? It's just kind of ordinary. Sometimes when somebody seems so ordinary, they seem so simple, they seem so basic, we push them away. Do we do that with God? Like God, the creator of the universe, immeasurable in power, shows up in our life. But because he's everywhere, and he's everywhere all the time, and he always shows up, and he's really just trying to start conversations with us, he's really just trying to get us to know him, maybe sometimes we think, ah, well, I got other things to do. You're not really worth my time. I mean, you showed up, you're just a baby. You just got bones and flesh like me. I could always go back to you if I need to. You could be my fallback plan. God keeps showing up. Do we push him away? I think that we just have this tendency sometimes to push God away because we have in our mind like what it's supposed to look like. We've got our path for success planned in our mind. But Jesus is the God who steps in our path to meet us, to encounter us, to continuously show up. Let's go back a little bit in the Christmas story. Let's just see what God would go through to meet us. It says that, uh, that uh, starting with Jesus' uh, birth, like this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to Mary Joseph. You got the carpenter Joe, and you've got this woman named Mary. And if you've heard the story before, you've heard that Mary's going around telling people that, hey, so I'm pregnant. Um, I know I'm not married. And that day, that was a huge, huge no-no, especially since she was supposed to be married to Joseph. And Joseph's like, ah, that hasn't happened. It's not me. So she's going around telling people like, okay, so now I know that this seems really crazy, but the baby belongs to God. Can you imagine like the teasing that Jesus dealt with in school growing up? Your, your mom's, your mom's Mary. <laughs> Joseph and her, they end up staying together and I can't imagine how much pain and awkwardness they must have gone through with one another. Around that time, there was also this census taking place and everybody had to report back to their hometown to be counted. And so Mary and Joseph, Mary's really pregnant at this time with God's son apparently, Right? And so they take, uh, they take this trip down to Bethlehem where, where Joseph had come from and they show up and they're counted. But as soon as they get there, that's when Mary's, Mary's about to have this baby. She's about to give birth. Oh my goodness. Talk about a surprise. My parents always tell my, my siblings and I like, none of you guys were planned, but you weren't an accident. You were surprises. That's always nice and assuring, right? That was a surprise. The best surprise they ever had. 
What a surprise. How unexpected. All these different crazy things are happening. Right? God's showing up in this incredibly humble way. Jesus, before he's born, is already misunderstood. And yet there's something captivating about him. It says that shepherds come. Like the angels talk about Jesus being born. They tell the shepherds, you got to go see this guy. So the shepherds show up. And all these people are showing up to see Jesus' birth. And it tells us on the next slide kind of how Mary was feeling about that. It says that she held these things in her heart and thought about them often. I think that sometimes we talk about uh, Mary's reflection there and thinking, hmm, my child is so special. I wonder if she was actually sitting there and thinking, what is going on? How did my life turn out like this? I mean, seriously, we kind of have to ask God, like, God, why would you go through all the trouble? Why would you impregnate an unmarried woman? Why would you be, why would you have baby God wrapped up in cloths in a shack out back meant for animals? Why would you go through all this? Why would you be so misunderstood? I think it's because that's exactly who God is. In being misunderstood, God understands us. It's this great surprise. God, creator, king of the universe, understands you. In being misunderstood, God understands you. And when God comes into the world and there's this great joy surrounding him, and there are all these prophecies saying, now joy comes into the world. Now you can have peace. Now you can know that the government will rest on his shoulders and his kingdom will never end. This is how you can have contentment. And we see it and we're like, it's just a baby. Surprise. God is challenging our understanding of where true joy comes from. We think we know where joy comes from. King Herod thought that he knew where, 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 where true joy came from. Again, let's look at this one more time. Jesus was born when King Herod was reigning. Now, who was King Herod? King Herod was a guy who had it all. Like we said, this is the guy who has the people kissing his hand. He wears the crown. He wears the royal cloak. Everything is ready to go for King Herod. But he doesn't have joy. He's insecure. He finds out that Jesus is being born and people are having their attention drawn to him. He's finding out that people are going to worship him and he's furious. The king of the entire region is furious. It says this on the next slide. It says that King Herod, who lives in Jerusalem, he doesn't live in Bethlehem, this podunk town. He lives in Jerusalem, which is considered like the royal, the center of everything of that time. He has it all. It says that he and all the people in Jerusalem were greatly disturbed by this. Talk about insecurity. A king is caught up and tripping up over a baby born and laying in a manger. King Herod has it all, but he doesn't have joy. And he's furious because this baby's shown up. God has come in the most surprising way. I've heard this said so many times before that one of the reasons why people like Christmas or people like the story of Jesus' birth is because it's so, it's so, it's so non-controversial. Jesus shows up as a baby, and nobody dislikes a baby. If you don't believe that Jesus is controversial, you're in for a surprise, but it's a good surprise. If you don't believe that Jesus is controversial, you don't know the story of his birth the way that he came into this world. He was so controversial that he tripped up the king of his region. He was furious. 
King Herod develops this plan. Well, I know what I'll do. I know what I'll do. He's jealous of Jesus, scared about what's going to happen to Jesus. I'm not going to lose my place. So he develops this plan. He's like, we're going to go out. And, and, and he decides that they're going to kill every single child under the age of two in Bethlehem. Like, what a tyrannical, what an awful person. King Herod, I mean, my goodness, this guy was messed up. He had everything, but not joy. He was so caught up in making sure that he had his place. You know, it was ninth grade for me when I met Ben, but I was too caught up with, you know, making sure that I had my place in the places where I actually wanted to be. Anybody else go to a school where you had the cafeteria and the the tables all had like eight built-in chairs into the table? Talk about stressful. You know what I mean? Because what if there's more than eight people who want to sit at the table? And so every single day, I knew the table that I wanted to sit at, and I wanted to be with my friends. And so I'd see the table, and I would just, like, mad dash, like, go straight to the seat. Like, first one here, okay, we're good, we're good, we're good. We're good, we're good, I made it, I made it. I don't have to sit by myself today. Thank goodness, I don't have to sit by myself. And then sometimes you'd cut it really close, and so you'd start to plan out your, your, your procedures through the lunch line a little bit better. You'd start to control your situation, Okay, well, if I go to this, uh, if I go to the salad bar, I can get through faster than the other bars, and then I can quickly go, I can control my circumstances, and I can get to my seat, and I can claim my rightful place. And so it was for Herod, trying to control everything around him. And the problem for him was, if God comes into the world, if God's going to come face to face with him, King Herod's going to have to acknowledge, I don't have all the control that I believed I had. Here's the most controversial thing about Jesus. Jesus is God. And so when he comes into our life, he gets to play God and we don't. We don't get to control our circumstances. We can try, but we can only hold it together for so long and joy will not come for those places. We can learn that from King Herod. He had everything, but he didn't have joy. Everything, but not joy. What do you have? Do you have everything or do you have joy? It might surprise you which one is infinitely better. Joseph and Mary are warned about King Herod's plan to kill off Jesus. And so an angel appears to Joseph in a dream. The angel said, get up. Flee to Egypt with the child and his mother because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So very quickly, Jesus and Mary and Joseph, they get up, they flee through the desert. Jesus' life begins on the run. Jesus fled. He's misunderstood. He's misunderstood and so he understands what it's like to be misunderstood, which means he understands us. Do you feel misunderstood? Are you kind of tired of trying to control all of your situations just so you can end up in your seat, get to your place? It's kind of exhausting, isn't it? Jesus did not have a place when he came into this world. He was rejected. This is the way that it was said it would always be. In Isaiah chapter 53, there's a prophecy about Jesus. It says that someday uh, this is going to happen. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. 
He's rejected. He's misunderstood. It's too surprising for people. It's relatable. When Jesus comes into your life, we start to surrender control because Jesus is God and we don't get to play God anymore. I don't get to control all my circumstances. But the best part of that surprise is that it's good to let go of those things. It's good. You know, maybe sometimes, like, we look at the world and we think immediately of ourselves. How can I get the most out of this? How can I make sure that I have my chair, that I have my seat, that I have my place, that I have my attention, that I have my friends, that I have my romance, that I have my status, that I have my power? We look at the world and oftentimes we think of ourselves. And so I suppose that it shouldn't be a surprise that sometimes as Christians, when we read the Bible, we only think of ourselves. We read it and we think, well, these are my instructions for how to get my seat at the table with God. There's only so many seats, right? So I better hurry my way through the lunch line and get there and sit and have my place known. read the Bible and you start to confuse yourself and you think it's about, it's about you. Read the Bible and you think that it's only about how do I get to heaven. Read the Bible and you think it's only about how I could be acceptable before God. Go ahead and ask people. We talk about the afterlife, like what happens how do I know I'm going to be secure? And people immediately go and they start to talk about like, well, I lived a good life and I'm a decent person and I have good intentions. And we think it's about us. So we try to gather everything. We try to control everything so that we can have our crowns and wear our royal cloaks, have a few people kiss our hand along the way. But Jesus surprises us. This life is not about me. And most certainly, the Bible is not about me. The Bible is not about how do I get to heaven someday? The Bible is not about how can I get my seat with God? The Bible is not about how can I puff up my resume so the Lord will accept me? The Bible's not about me. The Bible this world and all of existence and all of creation is about Jesus. After Jesus and his family have fled to Egypt, in Matthew chapter two, it, it tells us this, this is what the Lord had spoken through the prophet when he said, I called my son out of Egypt. Do you notice there's all these prophecies about Jesus and right from the beginning of his life, he's already accomplishing them. He's already fulfilling these prophecies just a baby, helpless, defenseless for sure, already fulfilling these prophecies, these prophecies written thousands, hundreds of years before Jesus. And they're all about him. Surprise, it's all about him. 
It's interesting that it says that I called my son out of Egypt and it says, well, that prophecy was about Jesus. But if we look at where that prophecy comes from, it's from Hosea chapter 11 and it's in verse one, where it says, when Israel was a child, I loved him and I called my son out of Egypt. But the more I called to him, the farther he moved from me. How could that be about Jesus? Yeah, I get it. You called your son out of Egypt. Jesus did that. But the more I called to Jesus, my son, the more he moved away from me. What in the, huh? Well, the Bible's about Jesus, but Jesus is about us. Jesus is about loving us. Jesus is about saving us. Jesus is about surprising us. Remember when I told you about how there was the nation of Israel, it was God's people, and before Jesus came, they were this weak nation. They were hated, they were oppressed, they lived in slavery. They were abused. And in the Old Testament, there's this great story about how God's people had been living in slavery and slavery in Egypt, and God takes them out of slavery. He takes them out of Egypt and he tells them, I've got law for you, I've got commandments for you. I've only got law for you and commandments for you after I've freed you. My law and my commandment for you, the only purpose of it is so that you know what freedom actually looks like. My law and my commandment is not so that you would be approved before me. It's not so that now I can accept you if you start to follow my commandments and my laws. I've already freed you. I've already welcomed you into my presence. And so now here's my law. Now here's my commandment. This is what it looks like to live free. So God says over and over again, he says, if you follow my commandment, you will be blessed. It says it right away in Deuteronomy. This is right after the people have been set free. You will be blessed if you obey the commands of the Lord your God that I'm giving you today. If you obey, you will be blessed. If you obey, you will be given your crown. If you obey, you will be clothed in royal cloaks. If you obey, you will be blessed. But in the book of Hosea, it tells us that God called Israel the nation of God, God's people. He called them into freedom and they kept on backing up. God kept on showing up. God kept on saying, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. I will continue to show up. I am always here. But the person who's always there and the person who always shows up sometimes starts to blend in. And so we think, you know what? I'm going to go chase some other stuff. I'm going to control other places in my life because I'm not so much about fulfilling purpose and I'm not so much about thinking what my soul needs. Sometimes right now I'm just thinking about my urgent needs right here and right now and I need to satisfy that right now. So the prophet Hosea says, I called my son out of Egypt, but every time I called, my son kept on going away. The Bible is all about Jesus, but Jesus is about saving us and Jesus is about loving us. And so when we don't obey, we miss out on the blessing, not because God's saying, well, now I'm gonna punish you, but simply because we forgot what it meant to live in freedom. Surprise! God's already set you free. You don't have to earn your freedom. You don't have to earn your seat. But there's more to the surprise. Are you ready? You know, maybe, maybe you're, you're living that reality, right? Like, okay, yeah, I know what it's like to back away from God when he's calling me. I can't help myself. And now everything in my life seems to be falling down. I remember in ninth grade, there was one day when I didn't get to the table soon enough. 
running late to lunch or something. I don't know. But as soon as I get to the table, there's someone already in my seat. And like it hadn't happened before. I think the worst part is I see my friends sitting at the seat and most of them are just kind of laughing. They think it's funny that I don't have a seat. And it hurt. So I'm like, oh, great. I find an empty table. And and when you're in ninth grade, I don't think there's anything more humiliating than sitting in a lunchroom by yourself. I mean, like, now I get it. Like, it's not like you go to the cafeteria and now you're like, I would like my space. But in ninth grade, I just feel totally exposed. So as I'm sitting there and I'm like, oh, my goodness, this is terrible. It's embarrassing. I'm looking down at my food and I hear this. Well, good afternoon. Anybody sitting there? And I look up and it's Ben. The guy that I kept on rejecting because he's always there. He sits down and I'm like, oh, this, this just got even more embarrassing. I'm sitting with him now, right now. You know, I don't, I don't think God likes when everything in our world kind of comes crumbling down. I don't think God likes that. But when everything in our lives come crumbling down, we're surprised by what stays standing up. God won't fall on you. God won't fall. Surprise. This humble God who shows up in the form of a baby who is rejected from the beginning of his life will not fall down. And so when everything else has fallen and you feel very alone, in that moment, you find that God's still there with you, that God still loves you. Because we may not obey and we may not earn the blessing, right? But Jesus did. So that's why that prophecy, that's why all of the Bible, that's why all of creation is about Jesus. Because Jesus did show up. He did come as the baby. He did grow up. He did live this perfect life. He did obey. He did live in perfect obedience to God's will. And he did earn the blessing but he decided not to keep the blessing for himself. Instead, he decided to share the blessing with us. I mean, think about it. Like how misunderstood was Jesus when he's making his journey to the cross? All you have to do is give up. All you have to do is give in. All you have to do is say, I'm not who I said I was. It was a mistake. I'm sorry. And man, they tried a lot of stuff to get him to stop. They beat him, they flogged him, they accused him, they, they mocked him, they humiliated him, they hung him on a cross, they killed him. But once Jesus had made up his mind, there was no stopping him. He made up his mind to love and there was no stopping him. 
And there's one more prophecy then that Jesus fulfilled, and it's also in Isaiah chapter 53, and it says, he was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep silent before his shears, he did not open his mouth. He kept on going. And then toward the end of this chapter, it says that when he sees, on the next slide here, it says, when he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted as righteous, for he will bear all their sins. What makes Jesus satisfied? What gives Jesus joy? It's not all the things. It's not, uh, it's not people kissing his hand. It's not wearing a golden crown. It's not being clothed in a royal cloak. What, what, what brought him his joy? Instead of having his hands kissed and being dressed in royalty and wearing a golden crown, Jesus had his hands pierced. He was, he was dressed in a, in, a, in a cloak that mocked him and he was given a crown of thorns. to him it was worth it because he wouldn't fall down to show us that when everything around us falls everything that we've accomplished everything that we've earned all the seats that we've taken he won't fall surprise I'm still here Jesus fled because he was rejected. He escaped death as a baby, only to give himself another opportunity later on so that he could die for us to escape death. He obeyed, but he didn't keep the blessing for himself. He shared it with us. Surprise. You get that. Hold on to that. Be surprised by God. Refocus on Jesus and see how he renews your life. It might surprise you. Amen. Let's stand and sing.